take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Now, I couldn't help but think as we were singing uh, Mighty to Save there, that chorus talks about the fact that we serve a Savior who can move the mountains, that He is the author of our salvation, that He rose from the grave, that He conquered what people in His time and people of our day still consider to be, in many ways, the one thing that cannot be conquered, which is the grave. Now, I was thinking about the fact that Scripture teaches us that the same power that was alive in Jesus that rose Him from the grave is the same power that we have within our own lives. On Wednesday nights, we're in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, it's talking about what we have in Christ. And it talks about the peace that we have in Christ. It talks about the ability to get through things that we have in Christ. But one of the things that it says in there is that we have power to live in Christ. And Paul, when he's writing in Ephesians, he piles up all the words that we know from the New Testament that meant power in one place to say that's the kind of power that you have in your life. And he gives examples of that, and he gives two big examples. He said, it's the same power that you have inside of you that is the same power that rose Christ from the grave. That's a pretty big deal. And then he says, not only is it the same power that rose Christ from the grave, but it's also the same power that God uses to keep everything in motion in this world that we know. I know that we all are sitting pretty comfortably here in a nice, comfortable setting, and most of you are pretty still, but you do realize that we are at this moment spinning at about 1,000 miles per hour, right? Right? I mean, the earth rotates 24,000 miles in a day. Now, not only are we spinning at 1,000 miles per hour, we are moving through space at about 76,000 miles per hour. And by the time that this day is completed, in a 24-hour span, you will have moved 1.3 million miles. Pretty sweet, isn't it? That's cool. It doesn't feel like it, but we are. And we just kind of take that for granted. I I don't remember the last time that I got up and thought, boy, I wonder if we're going to go that 1,000 miles an hour today. I wonder if I'm going to travel that million miles today. We don't think about it. We take it for granted because it's part of God's power that keeps the universe just in motion. And it says in Scripture that the power that rose Christ from the grave and that God uses to keep this planet spinning at a 1,000 miles per hour, moving through space at 76,000 miles per hour, not even taking into account how fast our solar system is moving in the Milky Way galaxy and how fast the Milky Way galaxy is moving in the midst of the universe. The same power that keeps all that together is available for us. Now, how? Because Scripture says that within each believer, those of us that have chosen to follow Jesus Christ as our Savior, we have inside of us the Holy Spirit of God. Last week, we started a series that we're doing over the next couple of weeks about the Holy Spirit, and I entitled it Forgotten God from a a book that's by that title. But I just like the idea that's behind it, that we, as a church, an American church, and many of our places have completely forgotten or misunderstood the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Scripture is very plain that the Holy Spirit is an important part of what we're doing and who we are and what we believe. I mean, Scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit is the source of all truth, the author of Scripture, the convictor of sin, the provider of comfort, and the promoter of salvation. 
that the Holy Spirit is what gives us boldness to witness, grace to stand, courage to follow, hope to endure. Uh, The Holy Spirit illumines God's Word, prays for God's people, and advances God's agenda in this world, in this country, in this church, in your family, and in your life. And yet most of us, if we're honest, would say that our lives aren't any more powerful or special or different than people we see around us. And the question is, well, then how do we tap into that power? How do we get to that power? Because the truth is that if our life is not marked, if it's not set apart by the power of the Holy Spirit, then it is no different than anybody else who isn't a follower of Jesus. In fact, J.I. Packer has this quote uh, that's going to be up on the screen that talks about what is needed in our lives. So the Christian's life in all its aspects, intellectual and ethical, devotional and relational, upsurging in worship and outgoing in witness, is supernatural. Only the Spirit can initiate and sustain it. He goes on to say, So apart from Him, that's the Holy Spirit, Not only will there be no lively believers and no lively congregations, there will be no believers and no congregations at all. Now, what does all that mean? What that means is if we are not truly trying to find this power from God that comes into our lives, then we're not different than anything else. Read Galatians chapter 5 with me. We're going to start in verse 16 and we're going to go through verse 25. We're going to focus towards the end of this passage today. We will talk about some things in the middle, but I just want to read the whole thing as kind of background. Verse 16 says this, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. There's some double speaking here, it seems. It just means that your sinfulness cannot reside with the Spirit, that they're not there together. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not know what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And then in verse 19 it says, These are the acts of the sinful nature, and they're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Sounds like a good set of things, doesn't it there? I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Here's what we're going to investigate today in our time. is How do we keep in step with the Spirit? How do we keep in step with God's Spirit within us? Now, Scripture teaches that that phrase, in step with the Spirit, just means simply to walk alongside of, to walk with, to go towards a destination with, to be a part of, to have someone to be beside you. And before we get into the how of today, I want to talk first about a question 
that can derail us on this path. I want to talk about a question that can derail us on our journey with the Spirit. It's a question that we ask sometimes in church, and we make it sound real spiritual. We make it sound like this is an important question, and we always talk to each other about it, and there's questions about it, and discussions about it, and Bible studies about it, and all of that. But if we're not careful, it can derail us from where we're supposed to go. And it's this question, do you know God's will for your life? Now, doesn't that just sound spiritual? Hey, I was just wondering, Clay, do you know God's will for your life? And then you can sit back and go, wow, that's deep. The truth is, I've asked that question. I've been in Bible studies. I've asked that question. I'm not saying if you've asked that question, that's a bad question. But the problem in my life is sometimes I get so focused on that question that I miss what I'm supposed to be doing now. And that is a big picture question. Amen? That's big picture. Do I know God's will for my life? I remember as a youth, people coming up to me. I I, uh, surrendered myself to ministry when I was uh, in between my 8th and ninth grade years. And I remember coming up and somebody going, do you know where God's got you going? Do you know His will for your life? Do you know what God's plan is for you? And I remember for a long time I felt guilty because I'd say, no, I don't. So much so that I determined I was going to figure out what God's plan was my life was, whether God wanted me to figure it out or not. In fact, if you read, and I've shared this with some of you before, if you read in the back of my um, senior yearbook, you'll see that my goal, my understanding of God's will for my life was to go to Union University, graduate from there, go to Southwestern Seminary, and move back to West Tennessee with the family to pastor. Well, I did that by the time I was 25. And so if that's my understanding of what God's will for my life is, then I've, I'm done. But I don't think God's done with me. Here's one of the things that I investigated this week and thought was interesting. I don't find anybody in Scripture, except for one we'll talk about in a minute, that God reveals the entire life for them before they get started. You remember Abram in the Old Testament, Abraham? God says, I want you to get up and go. And Abraham says, all right, God, where am I going? And God says, I'll tell you. In the office around here, it's gotten to be a little bit of a joke where when things were happening while we were searching for Jeff, we didn't know we were searching for Jeff when we started, but we were searching for Jeff. People in the office would ask me, so y'all found a music minister yet? And my phrase always was what, Deborah? We're working on it. Y'all getting close? We're working on it. I can just imagine that Abraham was getting ready to go, God, are we there yet? Abraham, I'm working on it, all right? Now, don't you imagine for a minute if you decided to go on a family vacation and the husband told the wife and the kids, get in the van, get in the car, let's go, we're loaded up. What do we need to pack? Just pack whatever you want to pack. Well, where are we going? Well, just pack whatever you want to pack. We're going to go somewhere. Well, where are we going? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Well, let's just get in the car. And you get in the car and you start to drive, and where are we going? Well, I'm not going to tell you. Won't you, won't you, I can see the wife, but won't you put it in the GPS so we'll make sure we get there? Now, I'm not going to tell you where we're going. We're just going. Now, how would that work? How would that go over? I hear nervous laughter from husbands. Not very well, right? Literally, in the first service, somebody said, I'd smack him. That was, <laughs> it's always good to be honest in church. Well, God sometimes is like that. Well, not sometimes. Most of the time, it's like that. It's just, you're not going to tell you the whole thing. I was reading this week in the one-year Bible about Ezekiel, and Ezekiel is... Um, Uh, he's getting ready to prophesy for the Lord, and the Lord says, Ezekiel, what I want you to do is go out and build a model 
of the city of Jerusalem. And I want you to put this here and that there and all that. And I want you to get this around and put things around to symbolize the army that's coming and all of that. I want you to build that. And then when you get that built, I want you to lay on your side for about 400 days and look at it. God, what are you going to do with me then? Ezekiel, what I want you to do is to lay on your side, and I'll give you information later. Now, I just want you all to imagine if you drove by the church one day, and I was out there with some kind of model I'd built, and I was just laying on my side looking at it. He didn't talk to anybody. He just laid there. God always doesn't give us the end game. And so if the question is, how do we keep in step with the Spirit? How do we keep in step with the Spirit if we don't know what the Spirit is leading us or where it's going? How do you do that? The truth is, we just have to ask God for a day-by-day, moment-by-moment filling of the Spirit that gives us wisdom as we live. you got your finger in Galatians 5. Keep it there and turn over to Ephesians 5. It's the next book over. And here's the simple answer, and then I'm going to give you some ways to do it. How do we tap into the power of the Holy Spirit is that we ask God to be filled with the Spirit. But I want to read just one verse to you and talk about that for a minute, and then talk about specifically a couple of things we can do to be filled with the Spirit. Verse 18 says this, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Now, in Baptist churches all across this land, that verse has been preached to death. Instead... Be drunk with the Spirit. Now, does your Bible say drunk? What does it say? Filled. You know what the word filled there means? In the original language, the word filled there means intoxicated. What does intoxicated mean? Drunk. Controlled by, permeated with, thoroughly influenced by, overcome with the power that is outside yourself. Now, we understand this in other realms. We understand what it means to be filled with something. The other night I was uh, laying in bed and uh, woke up in the middle of the night and was thirsty. And so when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're thirsty, what do you do? You go get something to drink, right? So I got up, and in our house, I don't know what it's like in your house, in our house, in our room, when it is 2 o'clock in the morning, it is pitch black. Nothing. Some of you may sleep with a nightlight. We don't, okay? We don't do that. So I get up and I start to walk. And somebody, who will remain nameless, but it was probably me, left the door to our room halfway open. And I ran full force, head first, into the door. Anybody ever been there? Just make me feel better. All right, you've been there? And in that moment, I was filled with pain. All right? Now, there were other things outside of me that kept me from expressing how filled with pain I was in. But in that moment, I was not a pastor. I was not a husband or a dad. I was a pain is what I was. Now, I didn't say any words I shouldn't. I didn't do any of that. But I cringed. Everything in my body convulsed. You know, it just, it hurts. Earlier last week, I was filled with sickness. Stomach bug made an appearance. And every decision I made for a 24-hour period revolved around that sickness. Amen? Now, you're looking at me like you don't... Amen? Everything. I was filled with that. 
He compares it to what? He compares it here to being drunk. Now, I know we're in a Baptist church, and so we're not supposed to know what drunk people look like, but let's imagine for a minute, okay? Drunk people don't have any control of their bodies, of their tongues, of their mind. When a, when a cop pulls somebody over he thinks is drunk, what does he ask him to do? Besides take a breathalyzer, that's the easy thing. If he doesn't have one, what does he do? Walk a straight line. And they can't because they don't have that control. Its body is being filled or controlled by alcohol. So what it says here in Scripture is that our bodies ought to be consumed, controlled, filled with the Spirit. That every action of our lives ought to be influenced by and the result of the Holy Spirit that is within us. Turn back to Galatians. And so in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, when it says we live by the Spirit, that literally means to have the Spirit be a part of who we are, to guide us in decisions, that every step of the way that we are controlled by what God would have us to do, that we are to keep in step. Now, that word in step literally means to be walking alongside of at the same way. I remember when I was growing up, I had the opportunity to go to Boise State, which was a, uh, a thing where you went to and you learned about government and all of that. All I knew is for three days it was military camp. We marched everywhere. And there was one particular occasion when I was a little tired and I got a little out of step with the people in my city that were marching with me. And my leader, who had just spent a month in Paris Island at Marine Boot Camp, decided it was his turn to let me know how out of step I was. The picture here literally is we're walking in step, the same way the Spirit would walk. So how do you do that? Let me give you a couple of things real quickly. First of all, when you're seeking the Lord, seek the relationship, not the results. Seek the relationship, not the results. In chapter 5, verses 16 and following, it makes it pretty clear that, that those that are living in the Spirit live differently than those that are not living in the Spirit. But the point is, in verse 25, when you get there, is that we are to live our lives controlled by in obedience to the Spirit. And what we need to do in our lives is that we need to constantly be seeking Him. Now, I know that most of us would say, okay, I understand that, Lyle, but... But, but what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is we don't read the Bible for what we get. We don't pray to the Lord for what He can give us. We don't seek Him for the results that He can bring or the things that He can give us in our lives. Think about this for a minute in a, in a, a marriage relationship. That if a husband and wife were sitting down one day and, and the wife said to the husband, what is it that you love about me. And the husband began to describe to her all the things he loved about her were the benefits he got from being in a relationship with her. I mean, you know that that a husband and a wife, that, that there are things in my life, there are benefits, there are good things in my life that I would not have if I weren't in relationship with Susan. But if I told Susan, I just love you for all the things I get out of the relationship. Can you imagine an anniversary card like that? Thanks, honey, for all the benefits I get. The truth is, Susan wants to hear me say, I just love 
you. I love being with you. I love having you as a partner. I just love you. Oftentimes we treat God differently, though. If you don't believe me, just think about your prayer meetings, prayer requests. It's most of the time we spend in group prayer in churches is all about the results, not the relationship. And so you begin to seek the Lord, not wondering, God, I've got to know what you want me to do with my life, so I'm seeking you. Not, God, what decision do you want me to take today, so I'm seeking you. It's just, God, I'm seeking you because I'm seeking you. And when you begin to do that, God will begin to reveal some things to you, and He'll begin to change you. But you must seek Him first just for who He is. And here's the second thing. Once you seek Him, just obey today. One of the reasons that I think that question, what is God's will for my life, can be so detrimental to us as Christians is because we focus on the big picture and we don't focus on the fact that God calls us to obey every day just little things. Let me ask you a question. Does the Scripture give us certain commands that we're supposed to follow? Yes, it does, right? What are those commands? What are some of them? You don't have to give me all of them. What are some commands? That's good. Somebody else. Obey your parents. Wow. From the youth right off the block. That's good. So the first thing you have to do is, if you want to walk in step with the Spirit, the first thing is just to obey whatever commands we've already been given. So youth, obey your parents. Adults, what are some other ones? See, now I'm done with y'all. What, what? Love one another. That sounds so simple, and yet it's so difficult, right? Because there are some people in my life it's harder to love than others. Amen? There are some people in your life that it's harder to love than others. Amen? But God says, if you want to walk in step with the Spirit, be obedient to what I've already commanded. And one of the things I've already commanded is to love one another. What else? Don't exasperate your children from the parents' side. All right. Bill said that as if a defeated man. (laughs) Don't exasperate your children. After you look up exasperate and figure out what that means, you're not supposed to do that, right? Somebody else. Can't kill them either, right? There's that Ten Commandments thing, right? Shall not murder, right? Thank you, Jeff, for a reminder. All right. What else? Now, if at the top level, what's some, what's some difficult things that Scripture tells us to do that we're supposed to do? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies. Don't lie. What was that back there? What was that? Forgive. Here's the thing. We know those things, right? I mean, we know them. I, I'm, it wouldn't have taken me long. You could have, you could have listened out 15 things on your own, most of you in this room that you know we're supposed to do. The problem is, when we're not faithful and obedient there, God's not going to reveal anything else to us. If you're not faithful with what you've already been given, why would you be given more? Look at this quote from A.W. Tozer. It's going to be on the screen. To expose our hearts to truth and consistently refuse or neglect to obey the impulses it arouses 
is to stymie the motions of life within us and have persisted in to grieve the Holy Spirit in the silence. The first step for being in step with the Spirit is to obey today what you already know you're supposed to do. Here's the thing. If there's a coworker that you work among all the time that does not have a relationship with Jesus, you don't have to have a special revelation from God to share Jesus with your coworker. If there's a family member that wronged you five years ago, you don't have to have a special revelation from God to forgive and seek reconciliation with your family member. If there's something in your life that happened and you have been guilted by it for a day after day after day, you don't have to have a special revelation from God to admit that to the Lord, ask forgiveness for your sins, and move on as if God has forgiven you because He has. And when you start to obey today, He'll start to give you other inspirations. What will begin to happen is you'll be uh, in line at the store, and for some reason the Lord will just impress on you to talk to the clerk about your faith a little bit as you get ready to check out. You'll be at school in your desk doing your work, and for some reason God will impress on you that the person that sits next to you every day for this day in particular is having a difficult day, and you need to talk to them. And as you obey that, God will reveal more. It's a day-by-day process. And once you begin to obey, God will reveal. Verse 25 says this. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, in case we understand, don't understand what our life ought to look like when we are in step with the Spirit, verse 22 gives us a picture. And it tells us there that the fruit of the Spirit, one of the things that is true in the original language is the word fruit there is singular. So this doesn't mean that this is kind of like a cafeteria where you get to pick which one you like in your life. This means that if you're a follower of Jesus, that you're walking in step with the Spirit, then you will have these things in your life. Love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And if you don't, then you need to begin to pray and obey whatever God shows you. There's a pastor in Chicago that uh, on a regular basis will tell his congregation that if you want to be filled with the Spirit, there are three simple steps. And the first thing is to simply confess to the Lord anything in your life that is sinful that you haven't confessed to Him. Because as it says in the Scripture there, the Spirit of God and our natural, human, sinful spirit cannot coexist. So if there's something sinful in your life, you need to confess that to the Lord. And once you confess that to the Lord, then you need to ask Him to fill you and to show you how to obey. And once you ask the Lord to fill you and show you how to obey, then you obey and believe. And it's that simple. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And in that time, I just want you to ask whether that power that you want in your life is there. And if not, is there something you haven't been doing or is there something you haven't done that you know the Lord's calling you to obey right now?